Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 59 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from PuppetConf in San Francisco. We got our old friend of the show, Nick Weaver. He's riding shotgun today. So how's it going, Nick? It's going great, man. I'm awake. (laughs) And um, before we get to our guest, we have to make a quick statement. Um, As Nick knows very well, um, we did something called a uh, Cloud Fantasy Draft show recently, um, and we have officially jumped the shark because uh, we just did that show on a whim, and it took off like we never thought it would. And so I guess really our next step now that we've jumped the shark is we're going to replace the humans and just automate everything as much as possible. So to do that, today we have our first step. We have Luke Kinis, founder and CEO of uh, Puppet Lab. So welcome to the show, Luke. Thank you very much. Coming down off the keynote high. Very cool, very cool. So, um, real quick story, first of all. Um, This has been the, what, sixth, seventh time we've we've tried to have you on this show? It's been... I believe it's something like that. It's been a struggle. (laughs) It's been one of those, like, we've tried to schedule it, tried to schedule it, just hasn't worked out. But I think this is actually, the timing of this is is perfect, because uh, you... Just gave the opening keynote probably no more than 20 minutes ago or so, and just wanted to talk a little bit about that and then go into some topics as well. So um, sitting through the keynote, first of all, the number one thing that I kind of took out of it was just community, community, community. Um, You had a lot of slides about that and a lot of recognition of the community and how everything is really taken off around the company and the products. So Luke, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Puppet is nothing without the users. And, uh, you know, th- there's no way we can do any of the things we want to do, any things we're doing right now, without a very active, engaged, participating community. Um, they're the people who are writing a lot of the code. They're certainly writing almost all the modules. Um, but, you know, new users are critical to our growth, obviously. I can't help all of them. My employees can't help all of them. And, frankly, they don't want my help. They want help from other people who are going through the same problems they have. So when they pop up and they say, hey, I have a question, or hey, I ran into this problem, or... I have no idea what this puppet thing is or why I should be using it. They need somebody who's willing to, to help with them and work with them and engage with them. And, you know, that, that's all about the community. And that's what, that's what Puppet has been about since we started it seven years ago. And that's, I want to make sure that's still what we're about, you know, years from now. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, real quick, one of the things kind of buzz in the room it, it feels to me, and I'm probably dating myself by saying this, but it feels to me like the very early days of VMware where, it was a very grassroots movement. Uh, the people in the trenches would go and play, what is this VMware thing? And they would go and play with it, and they would get super, super excited about it and just start sharing it with everyone who would listen. And a lot of stories like that this morning, and certainly that was part of your, your keynote as well, it just how amazing the growth has been. Um, for instance, uh, all of the projects and modules uh, that, that we've seen recently. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of similarity. VMware um, was fantastic in that it was one of the first products that really was a, a very high throughput, low friction sales model. It's something that you could download off the internet, you could try it yourself. You didn't have to go through a salesperson to buy it. Um, and 
you know, our goal of Puppet Labs is, is very similar. You want, we want a product that's so simple that you can try it yourself. You can see the value very, very quickly. And if you have a problem, you can ask another geek that you know instead of having to go, you know, try to get access to an, a sales engineer by, you know, yes, I'll spend an hour with a salesperson if the SE can come help me solve my problem. You know, that, that's the old way of buying things. And VMware was one of the first companies to come in and say, hey, even if you're an enterprise, you don't have to go through that process. Um, we're, we're absolutely going through that same thing. And, and the whole point with being a design-driven company, the whole point with you know, focusing on simplicity and usability is that people can use the products on their own. They can try them out themselves. They can work together to solve problems instead of having to rely on you know, us as the authoritarian you know, salespeople, whatever. Awesome. How do you, so I got a quick question. So given the, the push, so you've been a big fan of you know, software-defined infrastructure since before it was a term, right? Absolutely. And, but the reality of it is there's a lot of things that couldn't be software-defined, right? Because you had like these monolithic ASIC-based, you know, special code-based routers and switches. And now things are moving to where things are open APIs and REST extensible and all these cool pieces, right? So your community has the possibility of extending to those areas, and it's going to, but how do you see the difference in relations? You know, so you guys have your big sysadmin group. You know, these guys know you. You know them. But now you're going to start having these guys that just have done networking only that are start worrying about, like, well, how do I do that? How are you guys planning on reaching out to, like, these different silos that are different from your core base? And this is something we've been thinking about a lot because, obviously, we're, we're going to expand our product into those areas. Um, and one of the things we're going to do that's pretty different from how management vendors have done it in the past, we're not going to go buy a, buy a product that works well with networking and then put it near our product and go, look, they're integrated. Um, our plan is to take our same technology platform and extend it so it knows how to do that. And you've already seen examples of that where Puppet can be used to manage Cisco devices right now. It can be used to manage F5 devices. Um, and we've even got like discovery of resources on those devices and things like that. Um, and so... That's how the technology works, but your point is about the user, is about the customer, and I think that the question is very valid and something we've been very concerned about. Uh, and, and I kind of spoke to this on, on stage today where um, our theory has always been, oh, well, that, that's a different kind of admin. Um, but in talking to people, I've talked to a couple of vendors recently who, uh, somebody who's building a storage product, and what they're finding is um, just like what we're seeing, they have two, kind of, two kinds of admins, where there's the traditional, traditional network admin who doesn't want to change anything. They've always worked a certain way. Right. And then the other person who's saying, my job isn't the network. My job is service uptime. How can the work that I'm doing in the network relate to service uptime? And what they're finding is, um, not that it never happens, but that that admin is far more likely to come from the system space um, because they, they generally have a wider purview than the network people or the storage people or the um, database people. So what I think is going to happen, and this isn't something that I have a high degree of confidence because we're still pretty early in thinking this, but I, what I think is going to happen is you're not going to have four admins anymore. You're going to have one admin for one kind of admin, and they're going to be able to do all of it because they're going to have a su sufficient technology platform that can work across all those different silos. So that's really interesting because you know, in the classic – so you go back a couple of years, right, when VMware stuff was really getting to its heyday, right? And people started talking about you know, hypervisors being a core piece. And a lot of these VMware services started coming in from networking and storage, and you can manage – they get a lot of ownership from the hypervisor downstream to these pieces. And so all of a sudden the VMware man has got to talk to the network guy, and he's got to talk to the storage guy, and he's yep. going to interact with everybody. And companies, and myself included, because I was a generalist back when I was a customer, a lot of generalists got a lot of like credit for the fact that they could communicate with all the different people. Yep. So that's a very common theme that's been around for a while caused by virtualization. And if you think about it from a service uptime, configuration management, scaling services out, it's the same kind of pattern, right? The generalist, the guy that can understand the whole thing in and, and, and the semantics of it's got to be up, right? And yep. it's got to be configured. It becomes very important. Yeah, and and are, we, are we reaching the point where – 
we're going to have one admin to rule them all, right? Because back in the, it was the, the server admin, the, the network admin, yeah. the storage admin, the virtualization admin kind of abstracted a lot of those. And now we're almost, like you were saying in the keynote, um, almost a DevOps admin, where now you're taking that guy who already yeah. morphed three or four jobs into one, and now you're you're adding yep. DevOps on top of it, right? Yep, ab- absolutely. And, and it's a point where it used to be we had different people, and each person was an expert in a single technology platform, and now we're going to have one technology platform. And this is you know what Paul Strong is on stage saying right now is you know we've got one technology platform that's abstracting all the hardware, so you don't have to think about the hardware. And you, and you know, realistically, you don't have to care if it's hardware. This is one of the great things about Puppet yeah, is absolutely. if you're managing physical infrastructure virtual infrastructure if it's public or it's private you don't have to care and at that point you just say look I want a VLAN and I don't care what you have to do to give me a VLAN right. just give me a VLAN and you shouldn't have to know how to give a VLAN, how to do a VLAN you should just know that you need one and the yeah. platform should take care of it and, and along with that the, the, the stuff you guys have brought in, in, in software defined in software described and declarative models means things I mean, even the DSL is important but even things in extensibility with knowing how to code in Ruby right yep. or opening your mind right so a lot of infrastructure guys are used to having very finite sets of commands that they would memorize and they would just execute them in order yep. and then there's the switch over to and I did this switch over because I used to be one of those guys and I ended up switching over to coding but the switch over comes into opening things up and using your imagination, declaring, describing things. It's amazing if you think about it how, you know, the, the term DevOps, how what we're saying really kind of coincides with that term, right? Yep. So the classical ops and defined in dev styles as a generalist, you merge the roles together. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And something else, um, just to kind of circle back around to when we're talking about the product specifically, uh, you had a slide up there uh, mentioning all of the products that are coming out in some way, shape, or form are shipping either now or very, very soon. And so, and also the fact that there is a certification program around it. So we're talking about you know this DevOps admin, but tell us a little bit about the product set because a lot of people, I think, just think of there's one product, Puppet. Yep. Um, so um, tell us a little bit about the products and the certification. Yeah, so funny story about that product list, though. So I was... Um, it was Friday. We do an all hands every week at Puppet Labs at 4.30. People pour beer and got a tap there, obviously, and everyone uh, stands around. We talk about what happened that week, and, and I stood up at some point. We'd walked through what we had released that week, and it was a you know pretty long list. We had four major releases in the last uh, one to two weeks, and I was like, I'm so excited to see these releases, but I remember back in the day where we could list every single sale every Friday, and now we can't do that anymore because we have so many sales. I can't wait until we can't list every product release because we have so many. And our release guy said, yeah, we had seven more releases this week. We just can't list them all because they're all bug fix releases. And I was like, all right, then I'll shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that wasn't every product we released recently, but um, it, was the, it was all the major feature releases we put out. Um, and that's really just in the last week or two. Um, so for me, th- there are a few things. One is um, I'm proud of Puppet. I'm really excited with what we've been able to accomplish with Puppet. But Puppet is not the answer. Puppet is not the end-all, be-all. Puppet is a very critical component, and it's a component that before Puppet, you, there were all these things you couldn't do without something like that. And, and I was talking on stage about, yes, it's an application, but it really is also a platform. It's something you can build things on top of. Um, one of the first critical additions to that platform was mCollective, and the M in mCollective stands for Marionette, so you can tell what this thing was built to use with. Um, and this was built by a guy named Ari Pinar out of London, um, and M Collective is a message bus 
that integrates with Puppet, and it's kind of a command and control framework that you can use to do really anything. And uh, I've been wanting to push the message bus into the infrastructure in a long, for a long time. Applications have been using this for a while, but you know, if you've got to do something across a thousand machines, you know, using SSH in a for loop to do this just doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. Um, right. And given Puppet's focus on modeling, given Puppet's focus on declarative, and, and its focus on like what is best for the user, and let's, let's ignore whether it's technologically hard and just figure out what the best thing is, um, Collector does a great job of building that model and providing a, just a fantastic amount of power and it's done in a way that it's it's an application, but it's also an extension to the platform. So you've seen commercial applications in Puppet Enterprise that are built on both Puppet and M Collective, and it, those apps would not be interesting without both of those things there. Um, but in addition to that, you know, Factor has been a big part of the platform since the beginning. Anybody who uses Puppet is also using Factor. It's a very simple discovery tool. A normal person would have just built this as part of Puppet. But I knew this is a separate. It's a separate concept. It's a separate thing, and I want to be able to iterate it separately. Um, you know, Nick knows very well. We work with him to build Razor, which is a part of the platform now too, where it's, uh, you know, it's the physical provisioning layer. Um, we'd always avoided adding that in the past because uh, there are so many provisioning tools out there. But uh, you know, eventually, uh, with enough yelling, Nick convinced us that that was actually the problem. <laughs> He's good at that. <laughs> um, that there were too many provisioning tools, and that if you look at a normal organization, they don't get that view, that abstracted view. They have to look at not I'm provisioning an OS. They have to look at I'm provisioning a Red Hat box or a Debian yeah, box absolutely. because they all have their own provisioning systems. Sure. Um, our customers wanted something that looked like I'm just provisioning a machine, and I don't care whether it's physical, virtual, public, or private. Um, and Razor goes, you know, Razor really is, is the step into the platform that allows us to do that. Um, if you look up in five years, there's a very real chance that none of the technology we have will be the point technology. It will be the main thing that you care about and interact with. Or it may be that you'll find that Puppet is split into three or into five pieces and no single piece is recognizable as what we think of Puppet today. Um, we're not attached to a single piece of technology. We're attached to you know, this, this long-term goal of you know, allowing you to focus on the needs of the, of the systems, the needs of the business, and not what are the technologies in play or things like that. Um, I, I like to say that our, our goal at Puppet Labs is to enable frictionless change. And whatever it takes to make that happen is, is our mandate in terms of technology. And, and to take that along, I'll come back to the certification here in a second, but I just want to go along what, with what you said. Even as a like, almost company motto, right? You had mentioned the, the idea of the fail fast, move quickly, make mistakes, learn from them, and move on, right? I think you had a quote. It was, it was better to be dumb than evil, or something yeah. along. I'd those rather lines, you right? think that we're dumb than evil. Yeah, exactly. It's not so much that I want to be dumb, yeah. but <laughs> but if you look at some a mistake we've made, I'd rather you go, God, those people are dumb, rather than those people have set out to ruin my life, right? Because we probably, I mean, there's some of you, yes, but in general, we did not set out to ruin your life. Right. And, and really, you want to move that concept into your customers as well. You want to give them the tools to do exactly that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's an interesting nuance around failure because I, you know, my, so my wife's a scientist. She's a PhD in, in biology. I have a chemistry degree. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the scientific method as a means of learning. Um, and I learned, but I learned something recently about failure. Um, this was a, a flight over uh, the Atlantic uh, last year, sometime I think. I read a book called Switch, and prior to that, I'd you know, I'd always, I'd been one of those people who believed that you know, you, you don't learn from success; you learn from failure. You have to fail to learn things. And in reading that book, I realized that that was entirely stupid, um, and that in actuality, the only thing failure really teaches you is one of the things that doesn't work. Um, and Anybody who's done experimentation knows that coming up with things that don't work is not a challenging problem. <laughs> and so, good point. Good in point. actuality, what you need to do is it's not so much that you need to fail fast. It's that you know what I was trying to get at was when you're making a decision, if you find yourself in a place where you have to either a spend three months trying to figure out what the right decision is, 
or spend five minutes trying to think about what the right decision is, and then a month building it, and then putting it in front of customers. You're never going to find out what the right decision is until you put it in front of customers anyway. Sure. So you might as well put the least amount of effort in. You know, do what you think is right. Right? Don't go out there and say, I know this is wrong. But just say, my confidence levels might be low, but I think this is the right answer. But I'm going to put it in front of customers because I don't know. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do this all the time on mailing lists. We're having, I'm having an argument with a geek in the, in, the, in the company, and I'm saying, I think we should do this. And he says, we should do that. And I go, you know what? Here's the deal. If, if it's opinions, my opinion wins. If you want to prove yourself right, go talk to a customer. When you come back with customer data, that's how you're going to win. Sure. And, and that's the only way to really demonstrate. So when you're talking about failure, when you're talking about being afraid of failure, to me it's do what you think is best. Don't, to, don't spend too much time thinking about it. Build it. Get it in front of a customer as quickly as possible because they're the ones who are going to tell us whether we're right. And, and our, our, our arguing inside the walls is never going to do it. Right. And, yeah. and to extend that a little bit further too, what I think, again, to kind of – going back to further differentiate you and, and culture you have around the company is there's not many large companies out there and I'm not going to name any names but everyone knows who we're talking about that they would never do the fail fast mentality they would analyze and what's the PR implications and this and that and we're only going to release when it's perfect and yep. it, it seems very different and probably goes a lot to the culture of why you're being embraced as much as you are. Yeah, and it's certainly different in infrastructure too, right? Everyone's so used to thinking of infrastructure as being that that thing that you can't make you can't make mistakes right. on, yeah. um, and certainly you talk to some developers, and what they want to build is software that can be shot into space. Um, and, and Puppet's being used to shoot things into space. It's being used <laughs> to manage the X space thing, which you can see people talk about at Puppet uh, PuppetConf yeah. this week. Um, but the truth is that, you know, for one, we have a fantastic community, and that means that our community is our last line of defense of deploying crappy software. So even if we do make a mistake, they work very hard to make sure that they're not going to deploy crappy software. So if we build something that's wrong, they're going to go, no, that wasn't any good. We're not going to use it. And they're like, huh, I guess we'll go back to drawing board on that one. Um, and so we're, we're, not, we're not forcing things onto our users, so that helps a lot. Um, but, yeah, I, I just feel like one of the big changes, this whole consumer-style of, uh, of software adoption, you know, the, when I when I left Blade Logic, their user guides were proprietary and confidential. If you wanted to figure out what the product could do, you had to basically buy it. That world is dead, right? That world is gone. So, in a world where you're dealing with experts, where you're dealing with geeks, where you're dealing with people who wanna wanna open the guts up and mess around, you know, how do you do that? How, how does that change how you operate? And one of the major ways it changes how you operate is you're willing to bear the guts. You're willing to stand up on stage and you can say. You know, we did this thing, it was dumb. Or, uh, you know, we need to laugh at yourself and say, right. you know, I, I told everyone they had to do it, and then a month later, they all pointed out that I was a complete failure. Yeah. So for, for those that are, are more unfamiliar with Puppet and the products and the use cases, what are some kind of your top use cases that, that you see users adopting, and why are the reasons they kind of... The, the first hit free kind of model, right? They start using it and they're like, oh, wow, we got to do this. We got to buy this. We got to expand on it. What, what's the things that really get you in the door? Yeah, um, this, is, this is both my favorite and least favorite question because the answer is there is no most common use case. The, okay. the, if, you, if you go to ask 100 Puppet users, what was the one thing they started using Puppet for? And you're going to probably get 70 different answers from some things as simple as I wanted to manage one single file or I wanted to synchronize root passwords across all my machines. One of the great things about Puppet is you don't have to try to boil the ocean. You can manage a few machi- a, a teeny little bit on a few machines, 
And that might give you an hour back in your week. Well, now you have an extra hour. What are you going to do with that hour? Are you going to spend it more time you know, fighting trouble tickets? Or are you going to spend it by investing a little bit more in Puppet? So you invest a little bit more, now you've got two hours in the week. Now you have four hours in the week. So people do this very gradual, very incremental investment. And they start with the thing that hurts them the most right now. They start, to start with the thing that causes them to get woken up at 2 in the morning or the thing that, that when they're in the zone and they're working on something important wakes them up right then and causes them to have to go fight a fire right then. So it, you know, I always tell people, seek the pain. Find the, thing, find the little annoying menial things. Don't try to target the biggest thing because you need hours of unbroken time to do big things. Get the little things out of the way, and they'll give you back those hours of big things. Um, but if you break down all the little things that people have done and you break down the entry point for most people, what you're going to find is it's going to come down to one of three things. It's going to be productivity. I needed to do more. I just needed to do more. I needed to do 10 times as many things. I'm going from 5,000 physical machines to 25,000 virtual machines. I'm doubling the number of services in my infrastructure. By the way, my budget's not going up at all. Um, so just raw productivity. Agility. I want to move quickly. When my, you know, It, it can be high-level things like you know, weekends we don't have a user load. I want to switch all of my servers to be data processing. Or you know, our, our, our workload is very dynamic. Or I need to be able to deploy this piece of software into production in minutes instead of hours or days or weeks or months. Um, so just basically be able to move much more quickly and respond much more quickly. And then the third is insight. You know, I was saying on stage this morning that IT still kind of sucks for most people. Most organizations don't know what servers they have. They don't know what's running on those servers. They don't know what the last change in those servers was. There's an outage and everyone goes, well, what was the last change? Well, no one has any idea, especially if the machine's down. You can't get access to the logs. Um, and there are simple things you can do to make it better, but you know, with Puppet, you can get a clear idea of everything you're managing, every host you're managing, every resource you're managing, every change that's ever happened to any of those resources. So you want to go back and say, hey, there's a service outage. What was the last change? I have a complete history of all the logs that have ever been, ever been generated on that thing. So that kind of insight is fantastic and is a big part of what people get out of using Puppet. Awesome. And yeah, you, so you mentioned like traditional IT and how it's been done in the past, and, and you mentioned it in, in the keynote, you know, DevOps, right? And yeah, so everyone's talking about it, and how many times have we had you on to talk about DevOps? At least twice, right? Probably too uh, many. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, the, the, the entire concept of DevOps Puppet is very central to that, but to talk about at a higher level for a second, where are we at with DevOps in the industry at this point? How well is it understood? How widely is it used? And and what are the next big hurdles for widespread adoption of it? Um, so DevOps to me, um, I, I think a better name is actual, actually Agile Operations, but that one didn't stick. Um, and so we're stuck with DevOps. But the reason I think it's better is that you can learn a lot from what's going to happen with DevOps uh, by looking at what happened with Agile. And there are, I think there are two really important trends with Agile that, that I think DevOps is going to follow exactly. A... Um, lots and lots of on-the-ground adoption, and then eventually management going, oh, there's this thing that everyone agrees makes their organizations better, so let's do that thing. And then management tries to, when the geeks bring it in, then you're all good, right? Because the geeks are like, look, we're not too attached to what exactly it means. We're going to talk about a lot of high-level themes and then go make the world different. Management comes in, though, and, and, and when the geeks aren't bought in, and the management tries to say, look, you need to, you need to do this, you need to make this change, the geeks are you know, pushing back, then management, their only choice is to bring in the consultants. And now you've got... You know, you're, you already have a little bit, you know, we have, we have companies who ask us for DevOps consulting and we have, we, we're beginning to see some of this DevOps consulting going on. You know, how hard is it to find an, an Agile consultant or a Scrum consultant, you know, who can come in and, and turn your shop into an Agile development shop? They're everywhere. Right. Does it work? Hell no, it doesn't work. Um, so, so I think DevOps is going to be, it's always going to be vague. It's always going to be an important process. It's always going to be an important step. But to the extent that you can 
uh, essentially focused on the principles and focus on the ideas and focus on the on the goals and not worry too much about whether you're doing DevOps correctly or whether you know you, you dotted your I's and crossed the T's in the same way. You know, I, I think that that kind of attitude is always going to be a problem, and the more conceptual, high-level attitude is going to be right. Um, and and like all these kind of movements, it has to it has to be a bottoms-up movement. And when when the people who are doing the work don't believe, you know, consultants aren't going to fix it. They're going to be brought anyway, but they're not going to be they're not going to be able to fix it. True. And to circle back around, because this is my way of working the certification back into it, um, <laughs> the concept of certification that, that Puppet is coming out with, tell us a little bit about that. And is DevOps as a concept in that certification, or is the certification more centralized around the products and a skill set to the products? It's primarily centralized around the product. Um, and the some of it is that Seriously, uh, you you can't use Puppet and not not work a certain way. You're not using Puppet and not using version control. Right. You're not using Puppet and not going through some sort of change management process that looks a lot like the testing process. You know, you saw me talk about um, the work people have done to get RSpec testing. You know, to get unit testing for your Puppet code, to get lint testing for your Puppet code. These are all things that are just part and parcel of. If you're using Puppet, you're doing these things, and and that is DevOps. You know, the fact that you're you're beginning to treat your infrastructure like software. You know, it's all those kind of things that we're talking about. And um, so just talking about how you manage the system, how you use Puppet, that's that's the focus of the certification because, you know, to some extent we're, we're assuming it brings with it all these other things. I mean, just the concept, right, the concept of unit testing in the infrastructure world, to get that adopted, to get that understood would, is like a win in itself. It's yep. a victory for everyone to understand how unit testing can impact that, right? And we have customers who go so far as to have continuous integration on their infrastructure where they dynamically generate v- VMs. They use Puppet to build out a service in the VM. They use Puppet to provision monitoring for that VM right. dynamically, confirm the services up, and only then do they roll into production. Right. And that's beautiful. That's the way it should be, right? And, but for a lot of people that have been in those silos for a long time, they've heard the word unit test, you know, two cubes over when the developer was talking about it. And they just, you know, it went over their head and they just right. didn't listen, right? It has nothing to do with me. But the adoption, for me, DevOps is, like, I think you said it best, it's ethereal, it's, it's a movement, it, it shouldn't be pinned down, but it's that thing where that guy goes, oh, wait a second, that unit test thing is actually important to me, yep. right? That actually makes my job easier. Right. That continuous integration means I, I, know, I know exactly what's going to happen. I, it's not, I'm, I'm not you know, crossing my fingers and praying like hell, right? So it's, um, I, for me, that's what I get excited, right? It's when, when I realize the people that are not had these tools and, and theories and ideas and processes at their disposal all of a sudden have them and what that yep. does for them. Yeah, and, yep. and we used to, so so it's funny you mention that because it's almost bringing a lot of these development ideas and merging them with, uh, so most operations today, they don't have an infrastructure pattern to go into, I don't know, putting yep. a firmware in place, right? right, or something. right. And so I came from IBM Global Services way, way, way back when, and we were a development shop and an operation shop, and we had ha- had to follow a lot of the same procedures, no matter what it was. A change is a change is a change to production, and so I actually had to go through a lot of that. And so I was kind of quote unquote raised in that mentality. Yep. And it's so interesting to me how little you actually see that in traditional IT operations because yep. they just don't follow. There is a reason why you want to test it before you put in. A lot of people are like, ah, that's firmware, you know, so-and-so said that's good, just put it on there and yeah. everything goes to crap. Cisco right? said it works. <laughs> exactly. I will say, though, you know, a lot of it's, you know, how do you version control your Cisco configurations? How do you version control your running system? Right. So you have, there's, there's a certain amount of tool chain in that's, that needs to be there before you can actually begin to even do this. You can't afford right. to buy an entire set of Cisco switches right. for test environments in many cases. What do you do then? Yeah. And so... 
I, I think in many cases the tool vendors have been rather than enabling this kind of moving forward, they've been really keep, you know stopping it. Um, and you know, like you said, a lot of the vendors are now fixing it. You've got open APIs coming in a lot of systems, um, but in a lot of cases, you know, we're just we're having to use SSH to talk to these boxes yep. still, um, and it works. We fake it. We cheat. You know, this is one of the things that we've we've never been attached to doing it pretty in Puppet. It's like, hey, that's really ugly. Does it work? Yeah, then shut up. <laughs> so, right. We, well, we, and, and really, at the end of the day, a lot of times, I think some people may consider it, but they just d- flat out don't do it because it's too hard. Yep. And the fact that it may not be pretty, but you make it easy, yep. hence the adoption. Yep. Right? Don't look inside the box. Just right. look outside the box. <laughs> Wrapping paper is beautiful. Sausage factory on the inside. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, so, I'll ask you this. A lot of times you hear people say, you know, anytime you want to... Instead of saying the word automation, they say, oh, when we're using Chef R Puppet, right? <laughs> and, and start talking about automation, just like you know, any other tool sets that are out there. How do people necessarily choose between Puppet or Chef? And you, you know, I know you did some evaluation with the Razor stuff, right? What are some key differentiators when you're kind of evaluating them? Because everyone kind of lumps them together, but at the same time, if you really have talked about them for a while, you know there are differences. There are some key architectural differences where one versus the other and some choices to make. Tell us a little bit about that. And, and if you want, Nick, talk about your, some of the choices you saw with Razor as well. Yeah, so I, I think there are some major differences. One is that Puppet is very model-driven. Um, all the handoff between any stage of the Puppet platform and the next stage is all data. There's no point where we're passing code around and saying, hey, can somebody execute this large lump of code? Um, you know, whereas with Chef, what they do is they send down a very large Ruby program to every client, and that client runs that program. With Puppet, we send down a static data configuration in JSON, and the client knows how to interpret that JSON. That means that you can, if you can trust the client, then you can trust that it will, it will do the right things. If we make a change to your system, we can make promises. You're going to get a log about that change. With the Ruby program, you can just open a file up and change it. Um, and we think that, you know, for one, it's, it's not a great thing that you can't promise to actually have a log of all the changes made, that you can't be able to track all the changes. But for two, it allows us to do math on the system. If you want to know every single file that's under management in the entire system, I can tell you that trivially. You want to know every single user, every single service, everything, any of those things. You want to know any dependencies that exist in the system? I can tell you that because it's all data. It's all in PuppetDB. And we can guarantee it, right? It's not like if you choose to do it this way, it's in the database. And if you don't choose to do it that way, it's not in the database with Puppet. There's only one way to do it, and it's all in the database. Um, with Chef, they thought you know the, the power of the full Ruby language was more important than being able to track all the changes, being able to actually do analysis on the data. Um, and we thought the exact opposite. That in, in fact, both it's more important to have the data, and that actually the full power of the Ruby language w- was inappropriate for most cases. Um, and there are definitely cases where Puppet's language is not powerful enough. And our solution to that is not, let's add more power to the language. Our solution is, there are lots of plug-in systems where you can significantly add complexity and power to Puppet. Um, and that's, it's those plugins you should be looking to do. So yes, you have to build these plugins. You have to add information to the model. But that's the whole point of the model, is you extend the model. And we were doing a demo for, uh, for somebody yesterday and showing how you can go to the Puppet Forge, download a MySQL plugin, a MySQL module, which actually adds a database plugin. And now you can provision a database server the exact same way you would provision any other resource that ships with Puppet because it's, it's all built on plugins. Um, and if you want to go and do a query, tell me about all the databases that are on this box. Bam, that discovery tool, that's also using the same model, using the same system. Um, 
So that, that focus on the model and that focus on the, the completely declarative nature of Puppet's language is a, a major difference. Um, and then we've also always had pretty big differences in how we think about data. Um, for us, it's really important that only the server really have access to all the data in the system. Um, all the compiling that happens in a Puppet system that, that takes the Puppet code and converts it down to this JSON configuration, all that happens on the server. So that means if you've got a, a password database or something like that, and you've got a set of root passwords on every host, the server is the only box that has access to that password. If you want to compile down a configuration, send it to a host that's in a DMZ, that host doesn't have access to anything. If you want to compile a configuration down, put it on a USB drive and sneakernet it over to another machine in a completely different data center. You can do that. You can build air gap systems. With Chef, you have this central database, and everyone essentially has to have access to that database. And in reality, in most cases, you've got a central global world write, uh, a set of global state that's world writable by the entire system. So you've got every machine in the network is reading and writing this data. Figuring out what the state of the system is based on that is nearly impossible. What we found is one of the key strengths of Puppet is organizational scalability. Can you have it's, it's pretty easy to build a system that one fantastically intelligent system can use effectively. Building a system that 15 fantastically intelligent people can use is much more challenging. And we've sure. got multiple organizations that have more than 100 engineers actively using Puppet to do work every day. And, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm really proud of and how it's not just about, yes, technical scalability on tens of thousands of machines, but organizational scalability with multiple departments, multiple data centers, multiple countries, and multiple languages with, again, tens and hundreds of engineers. So Nick, do you want to follow on with that? Yeah, I don't know if I can, actually. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think really, there were three reasons why we approached Puppet first with the project. The first one was going to be the declarative, right? So um, Razor, the, 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 the concept behind how Razor does things was totally stolen from Puppet. Yep. So real quick, in case somebody doesn't know what Razor is and wasn't listening to previous podcasts, just give a... I'm, I prefer if Luke says what it is because he does it way better than I do. <laughs> Give a quick analysis of what Razor was. And, uh. So it's, uh, it's physical provisioning, um, and the idea behind it is that it, it should look, when provisioning phys physical systems, it should look just like provisioning VMs. It should be completely platform agnostic, whether you're provisioning you know, Red Hat or Debian or anything. You shouldn't have to care about the technology or the physical nature of the technology. Perfect. I, he, I heard him say it yesterday, and I was like, man, that's way better than anything I've ever said. <laughs> um, so, so, but Razor, a lot of Razor's design was totally stolen from Puppet. We wanted a declarative model. So you declare what you want, and when things come in, it just follows suit, right? Because a couple of reasons. One is for scale, that's very, very, very important. If you're having to choose things and apply constantly, that, that doesn't scale for an admin, right? So that was one piece, and the DSL model was perfect for it. We understood that at the upper level that if people are, could understand Razor, they could understand Puppet and vice versa. The second thing was, um, honestly, Factor rocks. We wanted to be able to discovery, able to discover hardware resources, and Factor already worked for what we needed to do, and so it was very easy to use. We don't have mCollective actually working in Razor, right? We have it in there. We're not using it completely, but we actually planned eventually on building mCollective directly in. From a large push standpoint for managing multiple Razor instances, it's beautiful. From a technology standpoint, we thought Puppet had the best library of tools to use. And then the last thing was um, the types of provider stuff. So a lot of stuff we were thinking about at scale above Razor and with Puppet didn't exist actually yet in the Forge, right? But we looked at how Puppet does things with types of providers and resources and creating those Forge plugins, and we realized how much easier it is to extend with Puppet. And so these future dreams we had of things we wanted to build on top... It just was the right choice for us. And the last thing was even like Puppet Masters themselves, the way they scale is very, very effective, right? And the way data is shared, the way data is done. So if you're building a Razor system to deploy hundreds of thousands of nodes, which was our original goal, um, Puppet was a good choice as far as being able to support that at a fig level above. I, I will say this, though. Um, the truth is that 
we work very hard as a company and as a technology to focus far more on the, the wide open world than our competitors. Um, you know, a, a lot of our partners are telling us that, you know, we're out front and that, you know, they see us, you know, we've got one partner who says that they see us in 75% of their deployments. Um, but when we talk to customers, more than 90% of our customers aren't replacing something with Puppet. They have shell scripts, they have Perl scripts, they have something they built themselves. They haven't, they don't have a solution in this space that, they, that they've gotten tired of and are replacing with Puppet. They have nothing. It's, it, it's very greenfield in that sense. Yep. There's a huge amount of automation software out there that everyone hates and almost no one is actually using. Um, we're not really competing against them in deals. We, we see Chef when we talk to customers. We see them relatively rarely. In most cases, in actuality, the, the perspective that everyone is looking at Chef and Puppet together, that's a relatively narrow perspective. In most cases, if, you, if, you, if you're in the Valley, yeah, every Ruby startup you talk to, they're obviously looking at both of them. And if they're a pure Ruby startup and it's a developer who needs to do a little bit of operations, I can almost promise you they're going to go with Chef because they can just, you know, they can write it all in Ruby too. Sure. But if you look at, you know, I'm a traditional enterprise. I'm not, you know, on the one-on-one. Um, what am I looking at there? They're thinking... There are tools that do this stuff, right? Really, <laughs> and so that's you mean the, I don't have to do that myself? Exactly. That's the audience that we're reaching, and sure. their not their challenge is not which of the seven tools should I pick. Their challenge is can I use one of these products? And so for them, it's I'm going to download a piece of software. I've got half an hour between before my lunch ends, yeah. and I'm going to try one of these things out. Can I get it up and running and doing something useful? And that's really where Puppet shines. That's where our focus on first make it easy to use out of the gate. Get something useful very, very quickly. Second, make it so that incremental investment is valuable. If I put a half an hour in, if I've got it up and running and I put another half an hour in, how long does it take to return that investment in me? Is it, is it a month? Is it a year? Or is it 20 minutes? And then third is once I've begun making these incremental investments, can I pass it on to somebody else? Can I bring other people into the story without having to turn them into programmers, without having to go through this huge amount of investment? And we, we have training classes. We train thousands of people a year, literally, on Puppet. But you don't have to go through training. You can really figure it out on your own. And, and that ability to go from very cheap initial investment of just trying it out, constant incremental investment to make it continually better, and then finally the ability to always grow, grow the team over time without huge costs of adding each additional member, those are all a really critical part of what's, what's allowed Puppet to succeed. Awesome. So we are we're kind of running out of time here. So one last question. And this is actually... Our first ever kind of user-submitted question. So, um, so uh, Michael, uh, out on Twitter, um, we, we said, hey, you know, we're going to be talking to Luke here. What kind of questions do you want us to ask him? And so, so the question is, did you really cuss out Mark Zuckerberg for going with Chef? I wish. Um, <laughs> no, I've actually never, never met Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, let's see. The last I heard, Facebook was going to implement Chef. Um, but as far as I know, Zuckerberg was not involved in the technology <laughs> choice there. Um, no, I, I, was, I was obviously thoroughly disappointed in, in the choice. Every time somebody chooses a competitor product, it's like a knife in my heart. Um, but in this case, you know, it, 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 the, the test that they had decided to use to pick between the products was, um, it was kind of ironic because they had actually picked a test that if I had to pick a single thing that I actually specifically designed Puppet to be bad at, that was the test they picked. Because um, if you look at almost every management system in the, in the first part of 2000s, if you looked at um, somebody who was using CF Engine, for instance, in 2003, in almost every case, it was really a templating system with a small amount of management on top. Or it was a management system with a, small, with a lot of templating on top. It was, it was one side or the other, but it was primarily templating. It was primarily about how do I generate files. And 
our theory in Puppet is that files are actually the wrong way to look about the, look at the world. No one cares about Etsy password, literally. And especially, you know, you're using a Mac here. I guarantee you don't care about Etsy password. Um, but a lot of sysadmins think they care about Etsy password. They think they care about Etsy sudoers or Etsy FS tab. You don't. What you care about are users and groups and file systems and mount points. And what we wanted to do in Puppet was to make it so that you didn't have to think about files. And in order to do that, we built something that was really, really good about thinking about resources. And that's all it's really good at. And so if your goal is, look, I, I specifically, purposely only want to think about files. And if you require that I think about something other than files, you know, we don't want your abstractions, then Puppet is going to suck for you. And if your goal is to build templates and to build a templating system, you know, I, I can basically guarantee you, look, Puppet can do the job, but you're not going to be happy about it. You're going to be constantly complaining because you're trying to do something that, that, that you know, I said 10 years ago, this is dumb. Um, and, and, you know, I, you know I'm, not, I'm obviously... Uh, that was what their goal was and what they were trying to build. Um, I, I don't mean to castigate them, but you know they set up a test that that I could have told them beforehand. Puppet was not going to do well at that test. Now I, I would have argued that's not a very good test, but you know, like I said, I'm I'm bitter and angry about all these things. Right? <laughs> I find out one little person decides to try this one product that I've never heard of. And I'm like, <laughs> so no, that's your I job, man. I don't hold it personally. It's, it's, it's you know, my children, I'm sure my kids will still be able to eat. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. All right, so we are out of time for this week. So, Luke, where can everyone find out more about both you and Puppet? Uh, well, PuppetLabs.com is the best place. Or, uh, you know, we, we, we do a lot of sharing information on Twitter, um, and it's PuppetLabs is our Twitter nick. Um, I'm PuppetMasterD on, uh, on the Twitters. Um, and obviously the, the very best place in the world to find out more about Puppet right now is at PuppetConf. So there you go. I was wondering, is, is, is PuppetMasterD also your rap name? Um, you know, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so Nick, uh, you, you've pimped a few times in the past, but give us the, the quick rundown. Oh, no one, no one needs to know who I am. <laughs> well, there uh, you go. No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, Linksbat on Twitter, L-Y-N-X-B-A-T, and my blogs, nickopedia.com. Cool. And I just have to tell you in person... Um, Kicked your ass in the fantasy thing. Yeah, you, I'm just kidding. I, you won the worst and the best at yeah. the same time. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm calling this rigged. <laughs> That's a story for another day. And, uh, yeah, at some point we need to do a, a recap of the uh, the podcast, uh, of the fantasy cast. But yeah, I both won and lost for those that weren't paying attention, which was really interesting. We didn't even think that was possible. Brilliant. Um, but anyway, so if you like the show, um, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, if you have a question or feedback, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is show at thecloudcast.net. You can also follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and links to everything else Cloudcast. Uh, that's it for this week, and thanks for listening.